Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the 18th day of the month of October. It's a Thursday. Uh, by the way, last day this week for us, we're um, taking a uh, bit of an extended weekend. I forgot to tell you that earlier. Uh, so no show tomorrow, no show Monday. I'll come roaring back on Tuesday with my uh, sister Susan and with whatever horrors have uh, been visited upon us in the ensuing uh, time off. Uh, guests coming in later in the show, uh, Patrick Dowd, Executive Director of Allies for Children, uh, very much part of this uh, ballot question that Allegheny County voters will be uh, seeing on their ballots. November 6th, we'll talk about what that is. It's called the Allegheny County Children's Fund Initiative. And uh, I'm... I'm a little unsure of it myself, neither for nor again, and I'm, uh, Mr. Dowd is very much for. Um, I have gotten uh, messages from folks who are um, again or skeptical, and I will be asking the questions that they have raised uh, with me. Meanwhile, got an election coming up. I think I just referenced that. And to say it is the most consequential election of our time, I, I think goes without saying. To say that our side, forever getting its clock cleaned by the other, uh, needs to not only come out in numbers un- never before seen, but needs to keep that momentum going through the next collection of primaries and then midterm elections and then primaries and then national election. We need to stay in for the long haul if we're ever going to take back, for instance, the legislature here in Pennsylvania and in so many other states, the vast majority of states in this country. Because that's where a lot of stuff that hits you directly, in fact, happens. Okay. So getting out our vote is the big thing. We, um, just getting your vote out is, you know, that's good. But we all have circles of uh, family and friends, and we've got to do more than we've ever done. You can't be casting aspersions on folks who didn't do anything extra uh, this time around for this most consequential of elections if uh, you yourself have done nothing. And so I'm going to suggest that in the next two weeks uh, we get out of our comfort zones and uh, maybe do canvassing, maybe do phone banking. Um, and how, how you do that is, you know, depending on you. I'm going to give you a few for instances, and I'm going to give you a few uh, websites, okay, that you can go to to find out how specifically you can help. Uh, consider this a big public service announcement, but uh, I, I need to... Uh, to do it. Um, here is an interesting event coming up this Saturday. I just want to uh, wing it by you. This is organized by uh, State Representative Dan Frankel, and they're asking people to meet um, at 10 a.m. in Squirrel Hill. And then everybody who shows up, and I'll give you the exact address, is going to get in vans and cars and <laughs> head over to the North Hills. Ah! Because, I mean, here again, 
those of us who live in the East End, uh, we're represented by Dan Frankel and by other and 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 Congressman Coyne, and 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 we don't have. Um, we are assured of uh, you know our representatives being where we want them to be, generally speaking, but it's the Republicans in the North Hills and the South Hills that have to be pushed out. And while the people who live there need to be doing a lot of this, it, it's time for city folk to head into the suburbs and get to work. So this Saturday is something you could do. You're going to be, if you do this, canvassing for uh, a, de a Democratic candidate for the state legislature, Emily Skopoff. These are the kinds of things, granted, totally outside your comfort zone. Anyway, if you could, if you're thinking, I could do that, here's where you want to be at 10 a.m. Saturday. You want to be at 1720 Beechwood Boulevard. That's in Squirrel Hill someplace. It's probably someone's house. 1720 Beechwood Boulevard. Okay, that's one thing. I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, there are a lot of sort of house, I'm going to keep things away from my um, East End area and suggest some other things. Okay. Uh, oops, hang on. Okay. If you want um, to volunteer in your district, then go to, you know, this, this internet thing is, is pretty amazing, right? So just head over to s here. Here's a website, swingleft.org, swingleft.org. Um, is going to give you information. Uh, maybe you even want to have an impact on a, a race not even around here. Here are some other places to go where you can start doing something where you don't feel as helpless. Vote. FWD forward. Vote FWD.org. Buildthewave.org. Check these things out and see if any of the potential things that they have available will work for you. Uh, postcards to voters.org. Okay, um, I guess that'll, that's enough to bother you with for the moment. Um, I especially like the idea of folks in the city who are already represented by like-minded people getting out and fanning out into uh, the suburbs. If we want to ever get uh, truly uh, our, our legislature back, then it's up to us, whether we live in his district or not, to give people like Daryl Metcalf out, Keith Rothfuss out. We've got to get these guys out. They ain't doing their job, and what they ever do get around to doing is usually noxious and or unconstitutional. They failed just yesterday, last night, after the House of Representatives had passed a measure to make it uh, easier in terms of the uh, statute of limitations for uh, sexual assault of victims to bring charges. And this is one of the suggestions from uh, the Pennsylvania Attorney General after uh, in releasing the, uh, the report about, uh, about abuse in the Catholic Church here in Pennsylvania. 
He said, we need to open this up so that people can come forward and these people can be held accountable. The House passed it. It gets to the Pennsylvania Senate. Absolutely not. And you've got some guys on the Republican side of the aisle there who have essentially been in the pocket of the Catholic Church here in Pennsylvania. Specifically, I think, Senator Scarnati. Right? Didn't get it done. So, just saying. Another thing they didn't get done is allowing us all to vote on whether or not to shrink the size of the humongous ridiculously humongous state legislature. We had like the largest state legislature in the country. We pay all these people to do essentially not much of anything. Um, and they managed to hold that up too, of course, because it would cost a lot of them their seats. We've got to get these guys out. And that ain't going to happen in one fell swoop. That's going to happen with this sort of dogged determination to uh, stay at it. Okay? Okay, just saying. I'll get off my soapbox now. Speaking of the haplessness of the Democrats, you'll recall that I uh, mentioned, speaking of the hapless Democrats, uh, was it last week, that uh, the Democrats uh, in the Senate we're talking Washington, had, had agreed to allow the Republicans to push through 15 more ultra-conservative judges to serve on the federal judiciary immediately after they had confirmed Justice Brett Kavanaugh. The Democrats said, all right, we'll give you 15 more. if we can go home and campaign. And that's what happened. The Republicans got 15 more judges on the federal judiciary and the Democrats went home to campaign with the Senate supposedly in recess. However, yesterday, all of a sudden, the Judiciary Committee was called to order Next to no one was there, but enough were, and they convened a hearing to consider still more conservative federal court nominees. This, while they thought, the Democrats thought, they'd had a deal. Yeah, so what did they do? They shoved through a whole bunch. Oh, they had, for instance, they had five, no less than five federal district court nominees come before them yesterday. No Democrats were there. Yesterday, all five of these judges were from Florida. Oh, and there was one from uh, Georgia. Oh, Alabama, whatever. And these guys came forward, and Grassley and a few others that were there uh, asked him a few questions. Here's some of the questions. I'm very proud of you, said Orrin Hatch to one of them. Tell me about the major disappointment in your life. And then it was things like, yeah, what are your favorite foods? I'm not kidding. It was that absurd. One of the people interviewed is being interviewed for a federal appeals court judge. She is 36 years old, has been out of law school for 11 years. This is unheard of, but they're running out of people who are members of the Federalist Society and will do the bidding of the ultra-right. 
one of the judges actually got asked a question that he couldn't answer. I'm just, and, and these are friendly questions being asked by Republicans to these people they're ramming through. No Democrats in sight on the committee. They're home. They thought they had a deal. They left. So this Senator Kennedy, John Kennedy, this right-wing senator from somewhere in the South, said to one of them, uh, how come, can you explain to me why a federal judge sitting, let's say, in California can issue a nationwide injunction, which is something that's been happening to Donald Trump, right, and some of his policies. Can you explain how they can do that, uh, making, you know, make an injunction not just against the plaintiffs that are before the court, but enforcing a law, the law against uh, all in the United States? What's the legal basis for that, he said to one of the people, that they're going to just stick right on the federal judiciary? And this guy, whose name is Barber, answered thusly. I'll confess, Senator, I, I don't know a lot about that. Uh, I took several courses in law school. I never learned about that. This is a guy who has been nominated to be on the federal judiciary who can't answer a basic question about the powers of the federal judiciary. This guy will get through. All these guys are going to be on the court. You can bet they're all white, too. So keeping tabs, um, the Republicans have now confirmed 29 appeals court judges uh, nominated by Trump, which is sets a record and then some. Uh, going back to 1891 when the federal uh, circuit court system was uh, inaugurated. Uh, they've in also put through another 53 district court judges. The fact that they made this deal, giving away 15 seats right after they lost the Kavanaugh vote, and then went home, and the minute they went home, the Republicans convened a hearing and started shoving more through. Tells you all you need to know about these two parties. One is really good at losing. The other is really good at ruthless winning. Someone who, in fact, used to work for Chuck Schumer, when he saw what happened yesterday, wrote this on Twitter about the Democrats in the Senate. They didn't just get stuffed in the locker here. They had their lunch money taken. There it is. Unbelievable. I was saying yesterday, if you're shameless, you can do things like what they did again yesterday, holding this hearing. What, how credulous can these Democrats be? How long has Chuck Schumer and the rest of them been dealing with McConnell and the others? And they still can trust them. <laughs> they still can take them at their word. They still enter into deals with them, fully intending to keep up their side of the bargain, while the Republicans fully intend not to. Really something. Uh, so, this is an interesting piece in the t 
times today that is about something that I've thought about a lot and I think talked about a little, but anytime I see it written about, I, 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 I sort of like to share it again. And it has to do with what is called um, compassion collapse. And it's why knowing that horrific things are going on that Yemeni children, are, their school buses are being bombed, that they're, they're facing uh, horrible famine there. The refugees streaming out of Africa still drowning in the Mediterranean. Those that came before years ago still stuck in squalid conditions in refugee camps in Greece. We, um, yet we don't respond, really. And the question was, given all these things that the Saudis have done, especially in Yemen, with our help, we have aided and abetted the killing of these Yemeni children. We didn't rise up about that. But one guy, Khashoggi, gets our attention and gets the attention of the Congress, of the media, the White House trying desperately to shove it aside, find a shiny object to distract us. Um, why? Why this one guy, his death, trumps the horrors that Saudi Arabia regularly visits upon not only its people but others? Why all of a sudden this? And this is where you have to talk to psychologists or historians because Stalin is the one who famously said because he was a killer of massive amounts of humanity. Stalin famously said the death of one person is a tragedy but the death of one million is a statistic that's why we can relate to a person a person you can't relate to a multitude so we are moved by the story of one. One standing in for all the others. The human brain just doesn't want to wrap itself around thousands of dead, innocent children, people seeking freedom children going to school can't wrap our heads around it it becomes an abstraction but one one is not an abstraction and psychologists will tell you that a human being responds much more to a single death than to many. In fact, they have found that the more victims, let's say, the higher the body count gets, the less we feel. As the body count goes up, our compassion, our empathy, our attention goes away. They call this compassion collapse. 
we are simply unable somehow, and it must be some, you know, quirk of survival. We can't deal with it. So you switch off. We switch off our emotions. It's a kind of self-defense. So I... This one guy's death. Now granted, his death was particularly gruesome, brutal, beyond belief. I mean, the more we hear as little tidbits leak out, and who knows what will end up being absolutely true, but the Turks are saying that they started with that saw on him while he was still alive. But the Saudis regularly chop people's heads off, chop people's hands off. That's part of their legal code. And yet they remain our dear friends. Explain to me why Saudi Arabia is still such a dear friend when we do not need their oil anymore. We don't. That was always the reason. They've got oil. Now we know our current president is not going to is going to want to keep them as pals because as he says, you know, they spend 40, 50 million dollars with me. I'm supposed to not like them. And that's part of why Saudi Arabia remains our friend. We don't need their oil as much, but man, they got money. And Saudi money flows through Washington, flows through this country and others, and people become addicted to it. Saudi money can be found in the pockets of umpteen policymakers, scholars, corporate CEOs. I mean, it's just, it shows how disgusting and corruptive money is. So their oil, meh but their oil translates to money. I don't know. I've never understood our good friends, the Saudis. Our good friends, the Saudis. They are perhaps, even with their money, as backward and strange a country as North Korea. If you're a woman, you would never want to venture into that place. You imagine a country in which women are still essentially held captive. And we were supposed to like this crown prince because he decided he was going to let women drive or go to movie theaters. These are our great friends. Yeah. All righty, let's get off all of this. It's too depressing, I think. I don't think Patrick Dowd will be as depressing. Do you want to, Amy, you can go get him. We're going to bring Patrick Dowd in. Oh, he's here. My Patrick, I'm squawking. I'm already on air here, but if you just... <laughs> you don't, no, no, no. Ta throw him over here. You guys will recall Patrick Dowd from a former life. Don't... You have to get a little close. It does that. Exactly there is nothing you can do. <laughs> you don't? For a little. Do you? Oh, yeah. See, I'm quite the opposite. I remember back when I was on television, 
the chairs on the set. Yeah. You know, you could zzz, zzz, <laughs> up, 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 down. And when I would s come on set and sit down, invariably, Don Cannon would like... <laughs> Jack it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd see his like going up. And I'd think, all right, I'll take... Well, right and there was a lot of, yeah, this kind of... It was ridiculous. It's like the Cold War period. It, it's God <laughs> almighty. It's great to see you. Good to see you, too. I hear you, but it's good to see well, you. Well, here we are. We've both gotten gray. Yeah, I noticed that about myself. Yeah, <laughs> me Not too. So me too. Okay, so let's get to this. I, first of all, I have to admit, I do not subscribe to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette anymore. <laughs> there are a lot of people who don't. <laughs> Just couldn't. I couldn't give <laughs> Mr. Block any. House. Is there? It was. Well, th there was. Yeah, oh. So we were both on the on the subscription, and the, so the, the, the... Oh, one of you now is the not. The result is that I am... I'm oh, still you're I believe in journalism. I believe in the public sphere. Uh, so I'm staying committed as hard as it may be. Well, I just, I after it. great reporting. Yes, but after Rob Rogers, I just couldn't. I couldn't. That was the term. And this, yeah, and Burris, and uh, I, I just can't. I mean, can you read those editorials? They make I your. Listen, I think, it's I think it's important that we read them. I don't, it doesn't mean that we have to agree with them, but I think we, it, it's important to read. And that's actually, to, in this project, that's one of the great things is we've been, I personally have been, and many of us have been all over the county, and we've ran into people that are not like us. Wouldn't you imagine? How crazy is that? And we've talked to them, and it's been exciting to have one-on-one -on -one conversations and to literally do this work, especially right now. I mean, there's, I'm, I'm committed to this project personally, deeply, professionally, but I'm also, it's, it's been fascinating to talk to people all over the county. Okay. The project he's talking about is something that, if you live in Allegheny County, is going to pop up on your ballot. And it is, I want to get the Allegheny County Children's Fund Initiative. That's right. That's right. Our Kids, Our Commitment, the Allegheny County Children's Fund Initiative. Now, I first became aware of this by seeing um, a sign in my neighborhood and mm -hmm. it, it, it sort of said, you know, like, uh, I mean, m m the sense of it was, you know, vote for children, mothers, and apple pie. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, and I thought, well, who wouldn't? That's right. What a lovely thing. I think I'll vote for that. But I didn't really know what it was. It's a complicated question, actually. It's a very complicated question. Do you want to support kids or not? That's that complicated. Well, <laughs> no, I think it's more complicated <laughs> than that. So what... Uh, give us a yeah, a thumbnail sketch. Yeah. So uh, the Al the Allegheny County Children's Fund Initiative um, is a, a countywide voter referendum initiative designed to give every voter in this county the option to make a decision. And the decision is yes or no. Uh, do you want to create in Allegheny County, as some 30 other counties have done around the country, similar to us? Do you want to create a children's fund, a fund that would be dedicated and supporting of early childhood learning? after-school programs and nutritious meals, particularly in those settings uh, for kids in Allegheny County. Um, the, the funding mechanism, the way that we would pay for this, is an additional quarter mil of real estate tax. So if your house is assessed at $100,000, it would be an additional $25 a year dedicated to a fund that would be uh, embedded in county government and that would support those programs, again, early childhood learning, after-school programs, and nutritious meals. And it is kind of like mom and apple pie. Those <laughs> are, <th> like, <laughs> no, one, no one has come out and said, and rightly so, because it's proven that these are proven programs. I mean, there's evidence to show these are proven programs. Sure. No one said, hey, we don't want more. We know there's a gap, too. No one wants to say, hey, no, not for these programs. We'd support other programs. That's not, that's not at all the question. No, right. you know uh, this early early uh, intervention works, you know, nutrition works, you know, after school programs work. We all know that. But and we know just, uh, we also know that nearly 0% of the funding that we, s we provide to these programs comes from Allegheny County residents, with some exception of dollars that the county dedicates to after school programs for children, for example, who live in the 16 public housing units around the county, just as an example. With, with the exception of that money, all of the money that we spend on early learning comes from state and federal sources. All of the money that we spend, ex with ex this exception uh, that I just listed in the county, come after school programs comes really from federal programs. And then all the money that we spend on meals during the school day and, and all of that for kids comes from federal sources. So uh, our goal here is to actually create essentially a local contribution to this uh, and to expand our capacity to do this work here in Allegheny County. But what? Ba 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 ba. 
But when I pay that real estate tax... You pay it to a variety of governments. You pay it to your county, you pay it to your municipality, and you pay it to your school district. And the your school, and your school but see, district. That's oh, what I'm on. heading to. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. What do you mean? So I the give school up district. A, the school district. First of all, it's great to talk with you. I, it's been a while. <laughs> so the school district is is its its core mission is kindergarten through twelfth grade, and its core mission is basically seven to three. So these programs, early learning programs, are literally before kindergarten. That's they're by definition pre-K, pre-kindergarten, and they're after the school. They're after the school day. And so we're very interested in providing additional support. We think that these programs are a perfect way to support and complement the investments that we're already making in kindergarten through 12th grade through our public school systems, our 43 school districts here in Allegheny County. But so an after-school program, though, would be in the school. It could potentially be in a school. Because there the kids no, are. There not not all after-school programs are in schools, and, and that there's a good, you know, good reason to have them in schools and good reasons not to have them in schools. But uh, they, it could potentially be in schools. If this fund is passed and it would generate $18 million, then, yeah, some of these programs could essentially possibly be in school districts. Some of them would be outside. We have things like boys and girls clubs, right? We could, you could imagine those kinds of programs in continuation. When I was a parent at Linden, I think you were a Linden parent at one point, um, there was an after-school program, but it was run as a fee-for-service, essentially. That's what I want to say. I mean, I'm still, I still live over there, so I see the kid. Kids are coming out of that school at 5.30. Sure. Yeah, my kids were in that program, too. Okay, it's a fee-for-service. So fee Parents are paying for that. Oh, you pay for it. Yes, exactly. And now, now some schools, and I think Linden did this, other schools, I'm sure, across the county do this. They raise money to make it possible for some kids to have access to that. Um, and sometimes those programs will employ teachers that are in the building. Sometimes they won't. It'll depend. But the fact is, after-school programming, whoever is providing it, if it's a quality program, is really important for kids. And there aren't enough resources to provide more access to kids in the county. There's quite a dearth, quite frankly. And the same is true with pre-K. There are, if we just were to use federal and state income guidelines, there are 6,700 kids across the county who don't have, it's more than half, who don't have access to pre-K programs. And we know the value of those programs. We know what they do as far as in preparing kids for kindergarten socially, socially and emotionally. We know as far as right. the skills that they learn and what that means as far as their success once they get to kindergarten. Um, so why would we not want to support more of that work here in Allegheny County where we know it's so valuable and so critical for our kids and beneficial for our communities in the long run? Okay. Yeah. Well, as I said. Mother, <laughs> mother's an apple pie. <laughs> well, why would you, how could you not? But here again, why? Okay, so there's just something odd about I'm used to being taxed, but I the government taxes me. And so this will be. It will also be a government. It will be your county but government. But you're not the government. Neither am I. No. I mean, no. I mean, you're... You're not either. If this would be... I'm the citizens of the county would be taxing themselves through the county government, the way this would work if it passes. And and there's an... Uh, I have one in my pocket. I carry it every day. It's a home rule charter. If you... Oh, you no. I, I did. On. I saw... Okay. It's a home rule charter, and you have to, you're going to have to amend that's what we're, that's the what county home rule charter, so it'll be part of... The home rule charter. Okay. It'll just be embedded in there. So and there this is a whole... This, it's two okay, pages. It's a, it. it's a structure, right, And because and it's a constitutional amendment, essentially. We can't write everything in here on the day, first day. Um, but and, but what, we didn't guarantee, what we did guarantee was that there would be a lot of public process if this right. were created. So first of all, Allegheny County would create, uh, the, our county government would establish a children's fund. So currently they have the general fund through which they funnel basically about $1.5 billion a year. Okay. So that, that fund is one of them. They have the second fund, which is debt service, which I, I forget what it is, but it's hundreds of thousands, maybe maybe millions that they pay. This is mainly for the capital improvements in the county. Bad, yeah. We would we would ask for a third fund to be created. That's what this is. It would be a children's fund. So the money that you pay to your county government would be dedicated into that fund. It would be directed into that fund that's separate and distinct from everything else. The second part of the Home Rule Charter talks about the funding mechanism. It's a quarter mill of real estate tax. The third part of the amendment creates a county office, an office of the Children's Fund. Aha! Uh -huh. uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for <laughs> More bureaucracy. How many people are we going to so be hiring for that office? How many... <laughs> I was going to make a joke, but I better not on the radio. <laughs> in desks are we going to filing cabinets so we pay in for? You know, we don't do filing cabinets anymore. No, I, 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 told, I, I mentioned something to my daughter about a filing cabinet. She's 12, and she said, what's a filing cabinet? 
it's, it's like a phone booth. We're yeah, too, right. It's old. like a phone booth. Oh, God. Okay, so, but seriously, seriously so that's yeah. a whole other booth. Yeah, but it's, so look, it's an office. If we talked to folks all around the country that have done this, and some of the advice that they gave us, among other things, was this. Create a separate office. First of all, you know, county government already has a structure, and they already take percentages of, of revenue that come in for, for various things, for administrative costs. If you create a separate and distinct office, you can write legislation that will talk about the overhead, the administrative cost. And most of these things operate with a 3 to 5% cost. Um, so, and we think here in Allegheny County, 3% of the 5% of the overall revenue that would be generated. So, if you're th the revenue but you're thinking is going to be 18 million yeah, a so year, so it would be some, somewhere so less than somewhere less than 600 thousand dollars, a little bit less than 600 thousand dollars to operate. So over uh, so over 17 million would be going to yeah. directly into these programs. That's the, exactly. Yeah. Right. Well, who's going to make sure that's happening? So that, that's exactly nice question. So so you would have this office that is separate and distinct, and that gives clear accountability and visibility, and then accountability. Yeah. That office, imagine it having three, four people, Th like their work is going to be very, very reasonable. You're going to ask them to put together a structure in consultation with other people, and I'll get to that in a minute. But you put together a structure for doing requests for proposals like you do in government work. Um, you would have them going out eventually once the budget's approved by the county executive and the county council, going out and evaluating these programs. They would be putting out a report every year to the public on, on how's the money spent and what's the performance of the, of the fund itself as far as kids is concern are concerned. Um, so they would be doing a lot of that kind of work. Uh, you know, you could think about this is not the RAD, but think about the RAD. They have an administrative team that does Regional that. Regional Asset <laughs> District. That's right. That's right. Um, so, so the idea of having a separate office is really important also because it's not embedding these dollars inside of already existing bureaucracies, right? We, s we spend a lot of money inside of the Department of Health and the Department of, of Human Services, both really good departments. Having this as a separate and distinct fund guarantees that it's tied truly to the mission that the public has laid out and that it can coordinate and work with but doesn't have to doesn't have to be subsumed under one of these existing offices and their missions. But okay, the public lays out what I mean, okay, say I'm I'm voting yes. What have I really said yes to? You I don't have any specifics at all other than food before school travel. and after school. You, you, you really, I mean, those are pretty, that, that's a big deal actually, right? You're dedicating it to three very specific program areas. And there are key questions like, how will the money get distributed? How is the money going to be paid? Uh, is it going to be paid as a grant or is it reimbursement? How is this going to be done? Is and you don't even, can you answer those questions at this well, point? I no. Can, I can give you all the best practices from around the country, but what we envision is that the public should be weighing in on this. Th these should be very, like, what kinds of programs? Should this be reimbursable or should this be a grant kind of expense structure? All these kinds of questions should be answered fully by the public and through public process. If we were to have put this into the Home Rule Charter, right, it, into this document, first of all, it would take years to change, literally five or ten years to make changes. But second of all, can you imagine how voluminous this would be? And, and people would shout to us obfuscation, right? You're, you're, you're giving us way too, and that's right. And we shouldn't be making these decisions as organizations that are leading this. What we want is full public process. We believe that ultimately the public engagement in the in the the design of this, we've we've put in, put together a strong inf uh, framework, but the the public's role is critical to this. So you've got you're going to create this advisory commission mm -hmm. made up of folks from the community. Who chooses them? So we asked that the the county executive and the county council create an ordinance that would determine how many, what's their term, et cetera. But we laid out some criteria that we think are important. Um, we want them to obviously have a record of caring about kids, basically. We'd love to have some folks with some expertise, so think uh, people that may have run some of these programs in the past, or uh, knowledge, people that are parents or community yeah, yeah. members. That the idea here is that you don't want a bunch of experts making no. decisions, so you want some, you want some folks with and experience. And you want diversity. And we, uh, we said represent the diverse communities of Allegheny County, exactly. Yeah. So we want all that, plus we said you can't sit on the, on the commission if you're you know, connected to the fund in any way as a recipient or you're an elected official or any of those. We put in a, a kind of conflict of interest clause that we hope will get expanded. So those those would be the those would be the kind of folks that
that you would expect to see on this. And you, you rightly want that, like some people are going to say, we want more parents. Well, okay, then that, if, and that's a public process, and there should be public hearings where people say, we think the ordinance doesn't represent, you know, enough of the diversity of the county. Great. Let's, let's go through a, a process for that. So I do know that some former, you were on the school board. I did serve <coughs> on the school board. And some people who did as well, and some, well, I just know of some that are currently serving. No, who did, and then I guess some who are, who are less than excited about this. Why are you, are you do they feel like their turf is being invaded, or well, do they feel, I don't know. You'll have to ask them. Uh, and, and, but what I can say is that in a, in a newspaper article, so which is an objective statement, we could refer to that, right? Okay. Uh, I, th I think one or two members said they were opposed to it. Um, and one or two members said they were in favor of it. So it's not, it, it's, it wasn't a, a board decision. And these are board members from Pittsburgh Public Schools. If you, you also saw in the newspaper, there were folks from Clareton and folks from Duquesne City, and we've been all over the county and the city. So th there are a lot of people who serve as elected officials who support this, but it's a tax increase. They're not, I mean, they're going to be very careful about how they position right. themselves on that. Right, right. And the needs of the kids living in those smaller districts or poorer districts seem to me to be, I mean. They're just as important as the kids in the city. I mean, we have yeah, need but, all around the country. But I, I got to say, if this money ends up anywhere in Mount Lebanon or in Fox Chapel or some fancy dancy, uh, you know, North Hills school district, I would be pissed off. So we, we stated very clearly that the number one criteria for the distribution of the funds would be need. And that is, I mean, I, I think that, that goes to answering your question, right? So where are those kids in need? And we have communities that have very high concentrations of kids with need. Uh, yeah. So we have to think about that. We have communities where there's need that we don't recognize. We're going to have to deal with that too. The point here is that we're trying to create, and think about this, that what you just said is most critical. We need to start thinking strategically, not as 43 school districts or 130 municipalities or 46 library systems, and I could go on, Please. about the needs of our kids. Let's start to, through this project, let's try to create at least one place where we are looking strategically at early childhood learning, after school programs, and meals. It's not to say that there isn't good work already being done in public schools, in communities, even in nonprofits, but let's start to look strategically at how we can invest our local dollars for our kids here in Allegheny County and try to start tackling some of these problems strategically as a county. Who are the folks behind this? I understand the foundation community. So can you no, give us some names so of like yeah, the organizations that are actually funding this are the 10 organizations on the steering committee. If you go to our website, ourkidsourcommitment.org, about, um, you'll see that. Right. And the 10 organizations are Allies for Children, so the organization that I currently lead, APOST, which is the Allegheny County Partners for After School Time. Uh, these, this is an out-of-school time or after-school time intermediary. They, they help provide quality and career de uh, professional development and all sorts of things for after-school programs. Um, Human Services Center Corporation out of Turtle Creek. They're a, um, you know, a child to, to senior uh, human service provider and been around for 30 some odd years. Um, the Mentoring Partnership, which does work all over this county in support of mentorship. Presley Ridge, which does a tremendous amount of work uh, here and ar around the Commonwealth and uh, other states as well, but uh, we, we know them for their great work with kids in foster care. Pump, which is the young people's organization. I like to think of them as our secret weapon. They're, they're really an unusual partner here and a specifically a very great partner in this project. They've been very enthusiastic and um, just awesome, as all of the partners have been. Um, uh, Trying Together, which uh, is an organization. It's an, it, some people will remember it as PACI. Um, they are the, the intermediary for early childhood education uh, here in Allegheny County and m many counties here in southwestern PA. Um, they do a lot of great work with early learning, basically. The United Way and the YWCA. So those are all... Uh, are any of those for profit? None of them are for profit. They're and all non-profit. When you look at our financial records, yeah. which we have to file, we, we have to, we, as non-profits, the, the legal part of this project was probably one of the most complicated part of the project. We, we have to stay on the right side of the IRS as, as 501c3s. We have to stay on the right side of the elections department. So we'll be filing a report. We we've have already filed reports. We will continue to file reports, and you'll see our expenses. 
but you also see that the funding comes from these organizations. We have, you mentioned foundations, we've had only one foundation that, that can and does, uh, well the United Way is a kind of foundation. Yeah, um, but I was thinking when I saw foundations that that would Pittsburgh have been. Foundation Pittsburgh is the Foundation is the main foundation, they are a community foundation. So most foundations are not allowed to lobby, which is what, when we're, you and I are talking, I have to mark this in my book as lobbying expenditures, because I'm lobbying the legislature here, which is the public. Uh, and so we have to keep track of all these records. Right. Uh, right. Anybody who's taking a stand, yes or no, on this is a lobbyist, essentially, because they're, if they're lobbying in public, they're talking in public. Um, but anyway, the Pittsburgh Foundation is a community foundation and is permitted thereby to do the lobbying work. Private family foundations not permitted to do that work. We also have, I think this has been disclosed, but if it isn't, it's a little, it's, it'll be a little early, but um, uh, PNC has also been uh, a contributor to this effort. So we're very proud of that. So this election is supposed to be unlike most midterm elections in that you're going to have, I hope, sizable turnout. Is that going to help you or hurt you, you think? So we have been, this is a nonpartisan issue. We're, we're all nonprofits, so we're not partisan. Um, and uh, the issue itself is nonpartisan. We believe supporting early learning after school programs and Meals for Kids is not Republican or Democrat. And you know what's interesting? Everything seems to be Republican and Democrat these days. But, but okay. this is not. What? Okay. I mean, we, have, we, have, we have people in, the, we, we have been door knocking around this county, and we are talking to uh, Democrats, we are talking to independents, and we are talking to Republicans. Yeah. And we are finding support across the spectrum. Now, you know, on, you know, on the wings, of the spectrum, probably not, but but it's closer to the middle. There is a lot of support for this, and we're very excited about um, the fact that this isn't perceived as, and we're trying to keep it very much not a partisan issue. Okay, but it is a tax increase, and and who like that? So that spans the spectrum. Everybody loves that. <laughs> <laughs> right? Are you? Did this? Did you get this idea after that library tax uh, won so overwhelmingly? So this is very different from that. Um, okay. the, the original impetus actually came at the time of the budget crisis in Harrisburg. That was when we actually, a group of us, it was more than the group that's now convened. I forgot, a, I just, I realized I forgot a, a great partner as well, um, yeah. Higher Achievement. Uh, is a great after-school provider. They're not a super large one, but a, a relatively small, but super high-quality after-school provider, and um, we've been, they've been a proud part of this almost from the very beginning, so I, I just realized I forgot them, and I apologize. Um, so we started this conversation uh, at the time of the budget crisis in Harrisburg, and we weren't, we weren't really talking about money at that time, but we were talking about collective advocacy for kids and what we could do to better advocate for kids here in Allegheny County. And it just started as a conversation, and as we sort of progressed through that, we realized that we needed to stake a, ground, stake a flag in the ground around funding. Um, and then we started to think about what this might look like at the local level. Um, and that's when we started to look at children's funds around the country. There are about 30 counties, depending on how the criteria that you use, more or less uh, 30 is a rough number, um, that have created something like this for various reasons. A lot of them have the components that we're interested in, and that's partly why we've selected them, because we've learned not only what, what's needed here, but also what's valuable in other communities. But they've been really, really important tools for those communities, and so we started digging in on that. Are there any in Pennsylvania? None in Pennsylvania. So the nearest neighbor is Cleveland. Like we, And I've been telling the folks in Cleveland that we go around saying, if Cleveland can do it, we <laughs> can do it better. And they're like, but wait a minute. <laughs> Another thing, I grew up in Missouri, so I, I've lived here for almost 30 years. St. Louis. I, exactly. Good memory. Nice. Well, here's why I know well, that. Somebody who's opposed sent me a similar fund in Missouri was investigated by the FBI. So okay, well, what is that? So, so interestingly, uh, I, 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 I actually met the guy. He's, I, we went to high school together. I hadn't seen him for decades, but he had run, he had run or been a part of the campaign uh, in St. Louis. And so I called him to talk to him about it when I real realized that he had some connection to this. Hadn't talked to him in years. And, uh, and he gave me a lot of advice about what not to do. And that a lot of it had to do with... Um, so what happened there? I don't know the whole details, but the thing that we remember the most from that story, and, and Joe was great on this, was to bring together people that really wouldn't have a financial interest in the project themselves. You know, they wouldn't be the folks that would likely be... Uh, well, that's what I wanted to ask you, because all of those stakeholders that you've named, the people in at the inception, albeit nonprofits, are, it seems, are going to end up getting no. contracts from no this. like so pump pump will never get a contract not pump but not allies for others. children 
Not Allies for Children. We don't do programming. Okay, not APOST. They don't do programming. But some of them do. Not the United Way. No, okay. the point is that a good, pr I think it's, uh, I, I have to be careful about this, but I think more than 50% of us, certainly 50%, I think it's six of the 10 will never apply for these funds by mission. Some of them uh, could change their mission and apply. Uh, some of the additional four might change. I think there are really only three that are, are likely to apply for these dollars. And, and in any case, there, there's a, a huge chunk of us that we're, we're doing this not because we are going to get money out of this. Okay. We're doing this because we're advocates. That's our job. Our job is to actually advocate for what's right for kids in our county. Yeah, you're the executive director of App Ally. Allies for Children. <laughs> Apple pie and motherhood. What do you? What does that? Or what does, what does your that organization mean? do? Yeah. So we spend time advocating for things like fair funding for public education. So we've spent oh. five years. Yeah. Can you? Like she's leaning back, moaning. <laughs> How's that going? Hey, we got a fair funding formula in 2016, and we're working to get. And, and part of this is about protecting protecting what, what's coming to Allegheny County. Part of it's about making sure we get even more resources. So that's been a project. We've had, we can mark the mile markers of success there. There have been some good ones, this formula in particular. Yeah. Uh, we're doing this, again, in coalition with a large number of organizations. It's not just us, all across the state in that one. We're currently working on school breakfast, which is part of, part of our interest around meals. We've been uh, really a champion for school breakfast both here in Allegheny County, but uh, quite frankly, in some ways across the state. We're very pleased with the work that school districts are doing here to change the way that they provide meals to kids in the morning uh, and really improving the participation and bringing in, as for doing that, they're bringing in more federal dollars to their districts. We, we, we've, we've lobbied at the state for the governor to create a, a small fund to incentivize that across the Commonwealth, and there are now 22 school districts here in Allegheny County, or 22 school buildings, sorry, mm. in Allegheny County that are receiving money from that and changing it. So we're, we, you know, we, we do that kind of work on a regular basis. We've spent a lot of time fighting for um, chip reauthorization and battling against the cuts that people wanted to make in, in oh. DC to, ha to Medicare, uh, Medicaid. I mean, sorry for for kids. It's chip the largest is health insurance for children. I and Medicaid is the largest health insurance program for children uh, in the United yeah, States. Yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah. making cuts to that program pits seniors and kids. So yeah. that's the work we do. You know what I was thinking actually, just listening to you, something ain't working right when our schools and our police are asked to do essentially what to me is social service work. That's, right. That's not what schools were supposed to teach. Well, in this and police are supposed to serve and protect. And in fact, both are doing the, exactly they're beyond their mission. So who's not so wh where are we well, not Think about this. Th so the reason that this fund is so important is not uh, it, it, it just right exactly that. The idea is to support kids as they move into the K-12 system. That's part of what we're designing this to be supporting. It's also designed to get kids in the after-school program to get sort of move, stir their passions around things like their creativity and potential careers, right? But it also keeps them safe and it keeps communities safe. And think about it from the policing side, right? We, we spend $81 million a year on our jail. We spend $10 million on Schumann. Shouldn't we make a comparable positive investment in our kids? This is 18 million, a quarter mil, 25 bucks Duh. on 100,000. Yeah. Isn't no. that a smart investment? And when we no. talk to police, and we haven't asked any police officers or law enforcement people, no elected officials to support this, but when we talk to folks in the law enforcement community, what, what do you think their response well, is? Well, they're for it. They're definitely for it. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, they, they know that, the, just to your point, they're being asked to do more than their job. So are teachers. And we ought to be providing additional support. The idea behind education and the idea, if, if you bring in law enforcement, behind law enforcement is to do this work as a community, not as individual siloed institutions, but to do it as a community. So to create this fund, like for me and for the team that's leading this, for us, the money is important. But for us, this is a much bigger, a much bigger strategy of thinking about the county and thinking about kids in the county strategically. As it, as it relates to the very institutions you're referring to. If this uh, passes, um, when, uh, when are we going to see, see an it office up and running and things happening? So we, um, we also, this is another part of this, we intentionally did not want this to happen instantaneously. We think, as, as I've said before, we believe deeply in the public process. And by the way, when we were designing this and getting our boards on board, that, wasn't, that was not an easy concept. For the, uh, the public, we believe deeply in the public role, and this should be a public fund that we're embracing. It should have a public agenda, and it should be implemented with the public. So we designed it so that if it passes on November 6th, it will not start implementation 
officially until January 1st of 2020. So okay. there's essentially 14 months of public process and input and design and then actual you know, implementation, RFP processes and things of that sort. And there'll be continuous, we hope, um, improvement because we've created a review every year, uh, you know, a, a, a report out to the public uh, with an audit out to the public every year, both of those things, and uh, a five-year review process. Right. Plus the county in and of itself has a 10-year review process. This will come nicely right between the five-year five spot. So it'll, it'll hit, ours will be, you'll, you'll do ours every five years and the review of the county. It'll be, it'll be really nicely designed. You're a good salesman, Patrick Dow. I really believe in this. I can tell you too. <laughs> I'm serious. Well, I know you've worked with. I mean, he was a teacher. This this guy's been. Uh, yeah, this is your passion. It I is. know it. It is. And you do it well. And, and the passion of all the folks that are behind it. Okay. We really are. I thank you very much. I mean, I feel like I've got. I really had a ton of questions. I was. You always have good questions. But so. <laughs> you always do. It's well, good. Thank you. It's awesome. Oh, you can butter me up anytime. <laughs> All right, you guys. Thank I'm you very much. Seriously. Thank you. I'm done. And as I told you, you ain't seeing me again till Tuesday. Notice how I pronounce that correctly. Tuesday. <laughs> Have a good weekend. <laughs>